HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Heritage Radio Network on tour, and I'm your host, Brian Kenny. And I'm here with Roland Camacho, who's the division manager of Hearst Ranch Beef. And in the interest of full disclosure, Roland and I worked together for eight years before I took on other duties at Hearst Corporation. Roland, welcome. Thank you. We started working together in 2006. And uh, the Hearst Ranch Beef at that time was um, in its first few years and we were doing primarily direct-to-consumer over the internet. And you were the production manager, and I was the division manager. And we had many adventures. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. (laughs) But why don't you tell us where the business is now? Okay. Yeah, current, no problem. Currently, we're raising and finishing about 1,100 to 1,150 head of Hearst Ranch beef cattle. Uh, These calves are selected individually from the cow-calf herds at both the Jack Ranch and the San Simeon Ranch, which are the the two horse corporate-owned ranches. So about 50% of the calves are coming from one, 50% from the other. Uh, We need to make sure that those ranches stay sustainable. We keep a lot of the genetics for future years um, to sustain our cow herds, but we can finish about 1,100 head comfortably, um, give or take, depending on the on the season. But what we do now is out of that 1,200 head, about 1,000 of them are going to Whole Foods Market direct. What we found is that the way that we were doing it before was not necessarily sustainable. Uh, we were young in the industry, and we didn't quite hit the wave of sustainable food quite yet. We were a little bit ahead of our time, I would say. So what we were able to do was move whole animal units or find partners that could take the entire animal. And we kind of phased into that by doing, instead of having people cherry pick middle meats for their desired needs, and we're stuck with a bunch of trim and rounds, we were able to move towards um, animal units, kind of like cattle packs, I think was what we called it at the time, where we would try to make similar units and sell them, sell them online. And what that did was it kind of sent us down a path where we recognized, well, okay, well, if we were able to sell more uniform units, uh, it would make more sense for us to process it less and sell more of the animal because our core competencies always end at the ranch. So what we've done is we're able to partner with Whole Foods Market now, and they take our cattle when they're ready. So we've got about 920 heads scheduled to go every year between Memorial Day and Labor Day. And that way... We're able to raise these cattle and harvest them when they're at their best, when they are ready to roll. And we're not holding on to cattle and trying to uh, compete with the other commodity beef, which are bringing cattle in all the time and sending them out all the time. So it's not, it's a, you know, we're not trying to compete with those year round guys. What we've been able to do is partner with somebody who understands that there are different segments of the industry and we're trying to vertically integrate them all into one on the same property. So 
we handpick the cattle about this time every year and between April and June, and then we raise them for another year. But at that same time, we've got calves hitting the ground for the next year, and they're preg-checked for the cattle that are going to be from two years down the line. So we needed to figure out a way to raise cattle, finish cattle, and get them off the ranch so that we can continue to sustain a cow-calf herd, which is what Hearst has been known for since 1865. Yeah, it's it's interesting. My my journey to Hearst uh, started, uh, you know, right, right around the same time as you, and we started. Um, I was about a month or two after you, and um, what I was struck by, you know, that, and I think the the listeners need to know this is that when our task and and Cliff Garrison was running the San Simeon Ranch at the time, our task was to come up with a business model that could scale to forever because the Hearst Ranch is going to be a cattle ranch forever as a result of the conservation easement that Steve Hearst put together. That's correct. Um, so it, it was it's really interesting standing here and talking to you about this and thinking about the journey that we took to get there. From my standpoint, it included um, doing business with Neiman Marcus and William Sonoma mm-hmm. and chefs all over the country and Heritage Foods USA um, and and a lot of really amazing people. But we really started to put this thing together with the cattle shares with the Anaheim Convention Center. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, we had been doing business with them when you and I both started. The company had historically been doing business with them. And we worked with Jim Tripp mm-hmm. and Debbie Giuliani and Chef Otis at the time <laughs> That's to put together a cattle share deal where they bought 40 heads is basically a load of cattle. And it was the first of its kind. I mean, yeah. I mean, I hadn't heard of anybody doing that before. They took the 40 head, um, handpicked them. We brought them out to the ranch. I remember we hand-selected those cattle. We decided on how they were going to be processed, when they were going to be processed, and then we we would put that up, put them up, and store them for them, and then they would drop POs against that product, and we would do it in one year. And so that the customers that were purchasing that product or the people they were catering to, they would know that they were getting part of that grass-fed experience from our ranch, so right. we, so they had developed a relationship with a ranch that could do the that could that can have control over the entire package, and there wasn't many people doing that in a, in a concessionaire type capacity. And we did that um, first, that first load that we did for them, that first herd, if you will, mm-hmm. was two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. It was eleven years ago, right? Um, and it and to me, it's amazing you you're still doing that with them. Yes, and it's a convention center. Mm-hmm. Which is phenomenal, and it's run by Aramark as the concessionaire, right? That's correct. Yeah, I just went down and just inked the deal for 2019-2020, and they're going to take another another 45 heads. So we've been able to sustain this year over the year. It's uh, changed a little bit with the the format of the product based, but you know, um, like I said, in the past 10 years, there's been a significant shift in what people's palates or what they're what they're wanting to eat, and the people. Uh, are more concerned about the way it was raised and have a little more uh, thought process about what they're putting in their mouth, regardless of the size of the event and where it's at. Yeah, and you touched on something a second ago um, about Hearst has been a cow-calf operation since 1865 in my role as archivist. For for Hearst Corporation and Western Properties, I found a letter at the Bancroft Library at Berkeley from William Randolph Hearst to uh, Mr. Parks, who was the ranch manager at the time, talking about the cattle that they finished on grass. And they and and W.R. uh, Mr. Hearst felt like it would never compete with the grain finish stuff. Now, what a lot of people don't know. William Randolph Hearst had a large feeding operation in Brownsfield, Texas. Big, and they were running cattle in Mexico on the Babacor Ranch, a million-acre ranch, and then they would train them up to Brownsfield, Texas, and finish them off there. 
So that was in the 30s, Roland. So mm-hmm. we come 70 years later, and I feel like we really we cracked the code with the native grasses and then the pasture, uh, past, permanent pasture at the Jack Ranch. We cracked the code to where a major retailer like Whole Foods would put together a seasonal program with us, which is, I think, still the only of its kind in the country. Uh, with all of my discussions with the Whole Foods people, all the way back to their global headquarters in Austin, there is no other program like it. or the only ones that do that. I think it's really cool that um, this all happened under Steve Hurst's watch. He's a great grandson of William Randolph Hearst. So I feel like the circle, you know, these things come around in cycles historically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not, you know, it's not like it was, it's not like it was luck. I don't, I don't think, I mean, we, 2008, we got commercial producer of the year from, uh, the Cattlemen's Association. Which right. is unique in itself. Right. <laughs> Which was a... <laughs> G- given the direction that we're sending all of our cattle. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of the opposite of what the industry is. Yes. Now, you and I have both done hundreds of hours of demos in Whole Foods and yes. other places. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that always used to get me was that people would say, oh, the Hearst Ranch. Oh, yeah, an I-5. They, now, they still say they that. They still say that. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting because the demographic of people that shop at Whole Foods largely are looking for sustainable products. And they're, I'm pretty sure there would not be a way that the way Harris's model is would be able to sell in Whole Foods market without some changes to the Whole Foods Gap um, certification. Right. They, so They produce a great product. It's excellent. And it's, but it's different. It's a different, it's product, a different product than for a different doing. store. Right. For a different customer. Another award that we got, we loosely, uh, they, you accepted and you were kind enough to invite me to was the supplier of the year at Whole Foods last year. That was quite a feather in the, in, the, in our cap. It was like we had arrived. So how <clears throat> does a producer become supplier of the year? What I mean, what's the secret? That sounds like... <laughs> well, I don't know exactly what the secret is, but I can tell you what I know we've done and the feedback that I've gotten from the right. people that we work with is that we... We're, we do things very different, completely differently. Um, we've developed relationships with everybody that we do business with and touched every department in Whole Foods that has anything to do with our product. We, um, we develop relationships with the marketers, with the sign makers, with their families, with the meat team leaders in the individual stores, with the, uh, the regional leadership. Um, again, like Brian was saying, we do these demos and we go and we reach out to the customers and talk to them. But we're also continually educating all of their new team leaders. So we have, you know, retreats at our ranch um, once a year uh, for these new team leaders to come back out so we can reinforce what we're doing and we give these, these, these Whole Foods meat department guys who've grown up cutting meat and read the pamphlets but don't ever get a chance to go out and touch the dirt and see the cattle when they're live and we get them to come out and we talk to them. We tell them about all of the stages of production over 24 hours. We just inundate them with everything that we do, our lifestyle, the ranching lifestyle, the cowboy lifestyle, the type of cattle that we have, the way that we manage them, the way we select them, um, tell them everything about what they're reading about, but they're getting a chance to see it. And that translates into them being able to sell our product more efficiently. So while we're driving a very, very good price, um, our product requires constant reinforcement from whoever's touching it to sell it. Right. Um, we, we do carry a lot of adjectives, but some of the other adjectives that are in that same meat case pretty much sell themselves. Ours requires the tell of the story, and the meat department guys are the ones that do that for us. And the Whole Foods leadership has recognized that we do that, and we provide that to these guys uh, on, on our dime. And we don't have a problem doing that. So they see that as a producer, we're willing to work with them to help them tell the story to make them more profitable. And I think that might have had something to do with why we were recognized as a standout. 
I think one of the um, one of the things that felt like one of the proudest moments, I guess, proud, maybe proud's the word. We were making the first set of promotional videos with Whole Foods, and and Steve Hurst was being interviewed, and they were asking him about our commitment to the partnership because we had been in it for a year already, mm-hmm. and um, he said, "Hey." If we're gonna walk down the same side of the street, we might as well hold hands, which I thought was that's a great line. It's a great line, and and I think that that's um, really poignant because I I know uh, last time I was on Heritage on tour, it was at the Fancy Food Show, it was earlier in 2019, and uh, I was asked if I had any advice for people wanting to get into the food business, and and my answer was don't. <laughs> But I mean, I would say I should say don't. But and the but would be if you're working for somebody like Steve, and you're working for an outfit like Hearst Corporation, maybe do. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's what enabled us to succeed was the fact that we're representing a legacy of quality, as the tagline says, that's actually real, and that Whole Foods was way more aligned with. Hearst Corporation, the Hearst family legacy, and in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. the cowboy way, than people might expect. Well, if you couple that with us breaking down those barriers that usually exist between the supplier and and, and, the, and, the, and, and the market, right. that's helped. So you've put those two things together those are two of the biggest barriers to developing a relationship based on trust. poignant thing to ask would be if you could give advice to somebody who's in the specialty food market, maybe not necessarily just beef people, Mm -hmm. but somebody that's in the specialty food market that is a producer that is looking to have the breakthrough in the market. What would you, what advice would you give them, Roland? Be honest, be honest and be open and try to look at things from their perspective. If you continually bring to the table potential combinations of effort that allow you both to win, the people that you'll want to work with will rise to the top. You'll recognize right off the bat during the discussion if it's not somebody that you want to do business with. And those that will see that you're extending the branch, they'll extend it back and you can start that relationship from a good positive place as opposed to I'm going to try to see if I can get one over on right. you right now and then they try to get one over back on you. But if my get, my suggestion would be to know your business inside and out. And when you approach somebody you want to sell your product to, try to look at it from their perspective. Know what you think they're going to want and try to offer them a solution that makes you both win. You know, and it, what it makes me think of is the thing that we run into a lot in, in this business with Hearst Ranch Beef was the scale of the business. And the adjectives that we have. We'll talk, let's talk about the adjectives first, and then I want to come back and talk about the adjectives that don't scale to our business. So mm. give me the top adjectives, and, and then we'll talk about <clears throat> what they mean. Sure. Well, 100% free range and grass-fed. That's probably the, the biggest one. Uh, all natural, no antibiotics, no ionophores, no hormones. So those are at, uh, an American, local. Right. So those are probably our biggest ones. And then we have the others because that's who we're selling to. But the large ones are the ones that are there. You know, all raised, born and raised on one ranch. Everything is free range and grass fed its entire life. Right. And and local uh, California grown, American grown. So those are probably the biggest things that, that set us apart. Right. So... Numbers, let's say 150,000 acres, 11, 1,200 finished cattle a year. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of ground and not that many cattle. So maybe you could break that down for the listeners, how that works. No, for sure. Well, both of those ranches are cow-calf operations first, meaning that we have replacement heifers that we're going to breed. So we have all of the mothers, fathers, and the offspring. Most uh, segmented parts of the industry that do just that they get their money based on the sale of their offspring. 
So they sell them right at weaning. They can sell them a little bit later in the year, or they might be able to sell them as yearlings. You know, they kind of, but their marketable item is their offspring. And if they keep anything on the ranch, it's sometimes they'll maintain some of their genetics depending on the market for um, the value of market replacement heifers. They might keep some to sustain it. But basically, they're. Uh, every year their sale comes from their offspring. Well, that's what we do primarily at both ranches first. That's our, that's what we're always have done and what we're always going to do. Now we have to have enough ground to support those and still maintain those standards of being free range and grass fed of those offspring. We're selecting 11 to 1200 head, which is the sweet spot that we found so far. We have to raise those cattle for another year prior to them being Mm. ready to harvest. So at any particular, so we'll say from summer on, from, from, that, from that year that they're growing, now we still have the mothers, the bulls, and then come the fall, we will have the offspring of the following year's cattle before we started shipping the current year's cattle, right. if that makes sense. So um, we're using almost all of this ground. And it's all being used because our, our, our herds are, are in groups, you know, a couple hundred to 300 head in size. And they're all just ranging and foraging, taking care of the resource. And then we have to find another spot for those um, finished cattle, the ones we'll call fat cattle, so that they can grow to, to a finished phase. So we cannot put just massive amounts of animal units in small, confined feeding operations. And that's why we don't try to compete with right. those types of, of, of finished beef. It's just a completely different product. It's just both beef, but it's a com- completely different item that we're selling. So let's say numbers. 1,200 finished head, what about 6,600 animal units? I would say, let's see, let me break this down a little bit for you. We could have... A cow herd of about twenty two to twenty five hundred. Okay. okay, and then you're probably going to have mm, we'll we'll say one hundred and fifty to two hundred bulls. Okay, because you're going to have they're busy. Uh, about a hundred bulls. You <laughs> you just have one per twenty five, and then you'll need replacements as they get older or get injured. So so if you have twenty five hundred head, you'll need at least a hundred bulls minimum. Right. So now we're at twenty six hundred head. If all those animals have mothers have babies, which is be about ninety percent, now you're at fifty fifty one hundred animals, and then you have yeah, so sixty one hundred and sixty two hundred, so sixty two to sixty five hundred animal units at max capacity on the ranch at one time. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and that's that's a rolling number because you have cattle that are leaving finished, and you have calves and mm-hmm. and 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 there's ebb and flow in the cow herd size. For sure. Right. But one of the things that, that Steve has made very clear is that he is not going to short the Whole Foods account because right. we've developed such a tight partnership. Right. So, and that's another reason why Whole Foods probably recognized our uh, commitment to this relationship is that regardless of the year, good or bad, we will always find a way to support the program right. the way we said we would. I had done business prior to coming to Hearst. I had done business with Whole Foods in olive oil and other shelf-stable grocery items. And um, I think my first meeting at Hearst was with Whole Foods from the Northern Pacific region. Mm -hmm. And then we did have some talks with them in the Southern Pacific region around the same time that we ended up doing the Anaheim project that's been going on since 2008 so it's 2008 probably um the the accounts that you're supporting now in whole foods can you tell the audience where those are roughly sure they're in california so the california whole Foods stores from san luis obispo to san diego okay so it's pretty much there's uh, i believe there's 43 stores 43 stores of right now we've uh they're opening a brand new one in Malibu, so that'll be the forty-third store. This will be the yeah. This will be the most stores that we've supported in a given season. Will be this year. It's interesting. I um, I think about uh, frequently the fact that you would maybe want to maybe some in the audience might think that cowboys and 
natural grocers would be disparate elements. But I'm reminded of one of the times, um, and I think we've done it every time I've been down for the, the visit with the team leaders where we had everybody say something that they were grateful for. And I think it was the first time we did that. Um, that the and that was initiated by by uh, Andy Dowda, who mm-hmm. was in marketing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the light went on for me, and and uh, I thought, wow, this is you know this is this is special. And then it went on again a couple of days later when I got a call from. One of the cowboys asking me to pick up some kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> yes, New Age cowboys. Yeah, California cowboys, right? That's right. <laughs> Just trying to get his shockers aligned. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we talk, so we've talked about numbers. We've talked about adjectives. When I was doing your job. Mm-hmm. The question I was asked the most was, "Why aren't you organic?" <laughs> that's a yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. I feel like it's the rubber hitting the road, and I think that a lot of the people listening to this mm-hmm. won't know the answer to this. So, could you tell us, give us the the ten peso version on how organic works and what the scale of our uh, of our operation is? For sure, for sure. Well. It doesn't necessarily scale to us. Let's put it that way. Um, if we were to want to certify the ranch or, or certify the beef cattle that we're selling, every place that they touch would have to be certified. And we would have to do things that wouldn't necessarily be in line with the priorities that are laid out in the conservation easement deal. So for us, our beef company is an augment to protecting the resource of the, uh, the Hearst Ranch in, in San Simeon. So that's our priority. And then we're raising enough cattle to be able to support that. We would not change our priorities just to, be, just to make the claim of being organic. Right. So, and, yeah. the, and the issue is um, maybe you could shed a little more light on how, like let's say with invasive species. For sure. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different routes that we could go with answering this. You're, you're right. We would not be able to... Uh, protect the roads and take care of our our riparian areas the same way that we do now. So we wouldn't be able to use certain things to maintain getting rid of those invasive species. We wouldn't be able to do that anymore. And so it would take away from the legacy of quality of the ranch the way that it is. Um, That's probably one of the biggest barriers to that. And another is that we feel that instead of saying, why aren't we not organic, we tend to move the focus toward what we what we are, are right. and um you know just like you mentioned earlier about people saying oh you guys are harris hearst ranch right off right. the off the five they're commingling the difference between the two and they just read the pamphlet that says that we're 100 percent free range right. and grass-fed so what it comes down for us is we realize that it does the term organic doesn't say anything about the way the animal was raised. It doesn't say anything about what the animal was given to eat. It only tells you what was not in it. Mm -hmm. So the animal technically could be confined. Right. The animal technically could be fed a hundred percent grain diet. It could but and it wouldn't have antibiotics or or hormones in it, but it would still potentially be a uh, a confined grain fed, grain finished animal, which is probably the biggest difference between us and what we're trying to do. Like we want to tell people these cattle were allowed to engage in their natural behaviors their entire life. We control all of the genetics. We can tell you everything about the way this animal was raised from the time that we decided what kind of calf we wanted until the time that that product hit the meat shelves. So we know what was in it all the time. We know what wasn't in it all the time. And those things aren't covered with the organic claim. And that's why we're not overly concerned with, with, with getting it. It doesn't seem to hold as much water as one might think. Um, and the customers that we are kind of directing our product towards are those that are really, really informed and educated about where our product came from. They want to know how it was raised. Did you know its mother? Do you know the, all the vaccination records? Did you have complete identification control of this animal its entire life? That's great. 
versus maybe the new people that are getting on board that will, you know, go to the grocery store and like, oh, I'm going to buy an organic steak. They have no idea where it came from, mm-hmm. how long it was on the road, right? How, how tight was it in the truck? You know, all of those things that aren't necessarily covered. How long can a, an animal be in the truck on the way to the plant? I want to, I mean, we're far, so far underneath it. I mean, right. our cattle, uh, the longest haul that they'll be on is four hours, four, four, hours. four to five hours, depending on traffic from our, I, I, but I, I want to say it's, it's less than eight hours, but I, you have to, I mean, I, I know remember. that we're so far underneath yeah. the standard. I, it's not something that I just truly pay attention. I mean, our, our kill plant is so close to, I don't want to say kill plant, but the slaughterhouse is yeah. so close to where the beef is going. Um, we don't have to worry about any getting anywhere close to that standard. So when you when you look at um, how the product is represented by Whole Foods and what need it fits for them, um, in light of the fact that they have a meat set all year that has grass fed options. Mm-hmm. Is this a like an estate wine? Is I would this, say so. Yeah, I mean, we have obviously we have we have a really cool set of marketing that we can provide. I mean, we we can we have the images from the ranch. We have the relationships between Whole Foods and Stephen Hurst. We even have you know the, the winery. I mean, that has product there. So I mean, it, it brings together the the whole package, and it really stands apart from the other. It makes it cool because you can say it's on the way. It's on right. the way. You can build buzz for it. You can get people excited about it. And you say you can only get it at this time. And you want all of these additives and all of this storyline. It's coming. It's on its way here. And Hearst will be here. You can come meet the rancher. They, they will be here. They're going to hit all 43 of our stores sometime in these three months. And if you want to come and ask them all the questions you want, how often do you get to come and talk to the guy who produced it in a chain grocery store like Whole Foods or any other kind. So right. we were able to build momentum before the program gets there, keep the momentum going super fast, and just like that, we're gone. Right. And then they have to wait till the next year to get it again. Anticipation. Mm-hmm. So, and you you do burgers and steaks and things you, when you do cookouts there in the parking lot at the store. That's another way that we work with the meat departments. I mean, we could do whatever. We've, we've kind of invested in having an all-inclusive uh, demo station that's, uh, we call it a pop-up station just because it's 10 by 10. We bring everything that we need. We just procure the meat back from right. the Whole Foods store, depending on if they have they have an ad on certain products of, that they want to push or they might be a little long on something. We'll do it all. And so we'll come out and we will cook it up and, and tell the customer how to cook it and provide our own um, counter cards and flyers and whatnot and give them an experience and picture and everything else while we're there. And we'll, we'll do it for three hours and at every store. How many burgers do you think you've cooked in your time <laughs> in this job? <laughs> I think probably the, the most we did was um, – Whole Foods in San Luis Obispo did a customer appreciation barbecue where they advertised that they were giving away free burgers for three hours. Lord. And we, it was as fast as I could keep two grills that had two layers a piece going. <laughs> and I had, I had three staff members. My son came by and then there was, well, three Hearst Ranch beef members. My son came by, so that was four. And there was three Whole Foods members and we took the sides off the tent so there was seven people as fast as they could cook to get these bur- and all they offered was burgers and chips. The interesting thing about grass-fed beef that maybe the listeners don't know is it does cook faster than grain-finished beef. Can you talk a little bit about that, Roland? Yes, it just comes down to the, the composition of the fat. Composition of the, I mean, composition of both the fat and the lean. I mean, they're 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 made. They're they're eating something different. They're uh, the the fat has a different melting point, so which means that the product seems to cook faster and it's not as forgiving. You need to really pay attention to 
what you're seasoning it with and really pay attention to the format and temperature that you're cooking it on. I mean, you got to make sure you get a good sear on it. And I just don't recommend, I recommend to anybody that has a certain um, doneness right. that they want of their steak, just to go one step beneath it. Right. So if you're, if you're a well done person, I would say go medium. Right. Go medium. Um, the, we used to say 30%. Cooks thirty percent faster, just as a about right. Thumb about right still. Mm-hmm. For the listeners, I just want you guys to imagine for a moment that you're in a parking lot in Southern California. It's 110 degrees outside. <laughs> You've got a grill, a, a lineup of people that want their free burger, and. Um, Two rows of burgers, <laughs> right? <laughs> of varying degrees of doneness. Mm-hmm. How long will you do that in in a given day when you're doing those demos? Oh, how how long will be up? And oh, out? yeah. How long will you be cooking? Oh, uh, three hours. Okay, three hours per per pop up. Like I'd, three hours, whether it's a traditional demo or a pop up demo, it's got to be long enough to where we hit enough people that that it makes it worth the the store's while and it gets our message. Right. Out there to many, as many people as possible. So we kind of try to layer it as much as possible. We 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 educate the the team leaders. We provide marketing materials. We hit every store. We want to do everything we can possible to get to just to get our word out there. Yeah, get the message out there and say, and it, and it's worked. It's worked out. So we've never had a year where we've had to go uh, less cattle than the year prior. Right. So that so it's the success has been the result of having a true story that's compelling, mm-hmm. having a high quality product, and supporting it through grassroots marketing efforts and actually being there and yeah. meeting people and and having that sustained relationship with the decision makers. Yeah, you got it. We we have we meet in advance of every year of every season to touch back on all of the successes and failures from the season prior. So right. we can make those tweaks and adjustments to help them move. And I and 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 we've done this while Whole Foods has transitioned. Right. Because Amazon bought Amazon them out bought them, right? recently. So we've went through a season of Amazon. We're going through our second one now. And having that open relationship, we were able to effectively go in there and say, hey, this is what I want and this is what I believe you want. Let's talk about this and let's meet in the middle. And we were able to make adjustments over the entire animal cut spec, which is probably completely unheard of. Yeah. So we're not buying out of, they're not buying out of a catalog. Right. They're buying, I can tell you, this is how much we're going to make out of all of these animals. And here's how we break down our pricing. Were you having some issues? Let's work it out. Yeah. So it requires a good relationship. You, yeah, exactly. And it's a collaboration. It requires um, compromise probably. Yes, it, it, it does. I mean, we always have, we've had, um, Years where there was no rain, no yeah. rain, and we had yes, and I we remember. had a commitment to fill. Yes, and you know we had we were we we're, were pasture based and we're free range, so we can't feed anything other than grass. Grass, right? You know, grass or roughage. That's it. That's all we can give. And we and we did it. And so we we reached a compromise with our partner that said, you know, we will we we met in the middle. Right. They 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 adjusted for half Split and we adjusted the for half. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how we continue to do it with our marketing efforts as well for when they want to run ads. We split it. Yeah. We split it. So we have a good working relationship. I remember that gut check when it just didn't rain. And then I also remember the years where it rained an awful lot and the cattle were big and the boxes weren't you know, mm-hmm. strong enough. It's not something that you necessarily plan for in a resource-based business like grass-fed beef. I certainly didn't. I had always had plans for what happens if it doesn't, doesn't rain, mm-hmm. not what happens if it rains a ton and the cattle get huge. And you We've have had to deal with 1,250-pound cattle, right? <clears throat> and I guess that has a lot to – that's another kind of um, – I can attribute that to – how long we've all worked together. And, and we've learned through trial and error along the way. Right. So one of the things that I brought to 
our traditional way of ranching was, you know, before I worked at Hearst, I worked for a large scale packer and they wanted consistency. They wanted, they wanted all the boxes to be exactly the same size. The product within that box had to be the same. So they marketed it that way. So we were able to start that trend at Hearst from 2006 on. So we were able to make adjustments to right. the breeding schedule, the type of bulls that we were breeding to, the genetics of the cattle to try to still be able to maintain the um, breeding genetics and mother ability of the, of the cow herd, but also be able to provide an animal unit that was roughly the same size. And then we were able to, and when we, we figured out where we need to make our check weights and how we can, based on the grasses that we have every year, what is our average daily gain going to be from this month to this month versus this period to this period? So now when we're shipping cattle, they're, they're all within 50 pounds of each other. So mm-hmm. now there, there is no significant variation anymore. We've gotten rid of that. And we also, you know, another, another challenge we had was we had a longer shipping window for several years. So we were bringing in cattle, individually weighing them all. So we were sending like animal units, but our shipping season was several, four or five months long. Right. So now, even though they were uniform, the uniformity was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So now we've truncated it down, more stores. We started with like 12 stores, I think, and then we went from 12 to 20, and then we jumped from 20 to 40. Right. So now we're, we included other counties before. And there so was we, one year where we did the whole... Southern Pacific region, which included Arizona and Hawaii, Hawaii and, and Nevada. Yeah. And so we figured, and we, you know, we figured out what, what, what kind of works now. And so now we, we keep it local to California, to central and Southern California. And we're making some adjustments to make it even better this year. We're right. about 60 days out from starting this year's season. So you're, um, yeah, T minus 60. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of work to do. One of the things that's interesting uh, to me, you'd mentioned earlier in the interview that we were ahead of the curve in terms of sustainability and that being a marketing principle for grass-fed beef. And I think we were probably five years ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a concept, oh, maybe six or seven years ago is the first time I heard it, of a food shed. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a watershed. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was nine years ago. Maybe it was right around the time that we started doing business with Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. I think it's notable that all of the beef produced off the ranches are basically within the food shed, you know, within a couple hundred miles mm-hmm. of the ranch, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's that's local, I think. That, it is local. <laughs> local yeah. Local's one of those words that, you know, doesn't mean much. I mean, it means everything. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. Right, but I think within 300 miles is local. Yeah, it, it is, and we're and we're looking into doing other things. I mean, we've been working with Whole Foods now for for quite a long time. Yeah, um, but we've also continued to make a small selection of frozen items that people can buy on a year round basis. And one of the other trends that I've seen pick up massive momentum in the past three to five years is, you know, going back towards people buying their monthly yeah their monthly uh beef needs or meat needs protein needs and having it shipped direct to their right. house i mean we can probably list a half dozen of these direct to consumer sure. box uh people don't want to shop they don't want to go to the stores to shop anymore even whole foods has started to do this to an extent they have their online shopping carts now but it's a little different there it's like you're having actually having somebody go shop for you and deliver it within right. a region of the store well a lot more people are buying these butcher boxes or these, you know, combination packs of different mm-hmm. proteins that are coming direct to their house. Well, what I see has changed is instead of handpicking what you think you want to go in there, you trust the company that is providing it to you to give you the variety that you need for your complete right. diet needs. Right. So you might you, you trust that they're gonna be sourcing credible pork and credible mm-hmm. beef, incredible seafood. And you may not know as much as these guys do. You trust that they're going to give you the variety so you can expand your palate right. a little bit. And we dipped our toes into that prior to the Whole Foods. Sure. Stuff. with the, yeah. yeah. HearstRanch.com. Yeah. yeah. We did that. And so now we're looking into trying to reinvigorate that or, you know, kind of bring it back a little bit in a slightly different format and a more local format. One of the biggest challenges that we have as Hearst Ranch Beef 
non-whole foods is people want to know how they can get our product. And it's, well, there's you got to come to the, there's not one. There's, there's not, not one. Yeah. There's not a sustainable one. They got to right. come to the ranch or come to the winery or come to the, to the castle. And the winery has a couple locations. Can you share that with our audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, off of River Road in Paso Robles. That's uh, where the vineyard, the main vineyard is and the the winery itself, and they have a tasting room there. And there's another tasting room at Sebastian's, which is right across the street from the Hearst Castle down in the San Simeon Village. And, you know, really, you're you're very limited in what you can receive there. It's a, a handful of pre-cut steaks mm-hmm. and some ground beef bricks yeah. and beef jerky. Right. That's pretty much all that you can get. And when it's gone, it's gone. And it's... Uh, it doesn't really help support the people that are not in a drivable distance right. to, to the castle. Right. So we're looking at, at at ways where we might be able to join forces with a company that might have um, access to people that are local and, and, and work on starting to put together some, some boxes of predominantly right. Hearst Ranch frozen items to not be in competition with our Whole Foods Fresh program, but allow them to have our product needs, their needs met on a monthly basis. Uh, that That's very interesting. I think for our listeners, HearstRanchWinery.com is the online home of Hearst Ranch Wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are many varietals that Hearst Ranch Winery makes uh, all in the Central Coast. And uh, the tasting rooms are a great experience if you do find yourself in the central coast of California, Paso Robles or San Simeon. Hearst Castle is in the middle of the Hearst Ranch in San Simeon. It's about halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles on Highway 1. Great part of California to see. I often say that my favorite country in the world is California. <laughs> I'm a fourth-generation Californian. There are many Californias, um, but the central coast is very special and beautiful and ethereal and lots of other adjectives, but you really should see it for yourself. Uh, One thing I want to get back to you, Roland, we were talking about, we've talked about a lot of things. We haven't talked about the flavor of Hearst Ranch beef. And I want to share with our listeners a meal that you and I had at the bunkhouse a couple months ago where you cooked up a couple flat iron steaks. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that was the best steak I've probably ever had. So kudos to you. It's a hidden gem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you knocked it out of the park. The thing that I taste in grass-fed beef, I think it depends a lot on the grasses. Mm-hmm. So there's some that's very gamey, has that green flavor, you know, um, you hit it right on the head. It has to do with the location of the grasses, what grasses they are, yeah, and the age, the maturity of the grass. Okay, those are the three things that really that really hit it. So, it's by region. The so it's terroir, terroir, exactly. terroir specific. Mm-hmm. So what I taste in Hearst Ranch beef is what I smell when the wind comes up the canyons and I'm up off the pergola. Mm-hmm. That uh, is herbaceous. Mm-hmm. There's a, it's not really sage. I think it's the ryegrass. Mm-hmm. It has a grassy scent, like a zestiness. I don't know how to describe it, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm just not that good at that stuff. But that's what I taste in the meat, and I taste it um, particularly in the fat. Mm-hmm. I love the fat block out of the middle next to the eye, in between the lip and the eye of the ribeye, the tail of the ribeye. Mm-hmm. I always love to eat that. Because the fat in Hearst Ranch beef tastes so good. Mm -hmm. I like to put salt on it, and I'm not afraid to eat it the day after cold with salt on it. (laughs) So we're just coming clean. (laughs) If my cardiologist is listening, I don't have one yet. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Grass-fed beef, though, the fat in grass-fed beef has health characteristics that are different than grain-fed. Do you care to talk about that at all? Well, I mean... It's more along the lines of of wild caught salmon. You know the okay. the the omega three and six ratio is almost completely inverted. There's more CLAs. There's more um, uh, beta carotene in it. So I mean the health benefits are widely known, and you, you know they're pretty consistent across all grass fed grass fed right. beef. So it's um, granted there is literature to the contrary. It depends on you know the quantity. 
and the quality. Right. So, you right. know, so you, you can't just, you can't have a carnivore diet of just grass fed so beef and expect to be 100% healthy. If I just eat edible <laughs> beef fat, <laughs> yes. it's from grass fed cattle. Exactly. It's exactly okay. right. Yeah, that we did, uh, we did lots of testing when mm-hmm. we started out. Um, and uh, do you want to talk at all about how, um, what has informed production decisions from your part? I mean, was there, how influential was science in mm-hmm. coming up with the production methodology? And how influential was common sense or institutional knowledge? Like, you know, for example, with working with Cliff Garrison, the former ranch manager. Well, we had to put it all together. You know, we brought, I brought the kind of the meat science, animal science background to, to the table. And so I wanted to test everything. So we, we did genetic testing on our bulls and we figured, you know, we included um, the markers for tenderness and ribeye size as some of the items that we would be looking at in, in the EPDs for bull selection. So we could start to influence the, the meat through genetics. And we had also picked a carcass that would, um, a, a mother, for example, that was going to be both a good mother. So this is the cliff side. This is all phenotypic things right. where he would, he would select the replacement heifers that would not only be a good mother, but would produce a good grass-fed sized animal. So we've tested for genetics. We tested for phenotypic traits or you know, selected for phenotypic traits. We also... Um, tested our products. So we tested our products on, on the other end. And then we started to the, where the common sense came into. We were like, all right, let's stop trying to sell cattle or ship cattle after the grasses are gone. So let's, right. let's place a focus on trying to ship them off the best grasses, make it the most, uh, when, the, when, the, when the weather's the best and the grasses are the best and you want to hit them at the height of maturity. So like right now with this rainy season we've had on the West Coast, uh, everything is the volume of grass is four times what it was this time last year, but it's also made the maturity dates of the, the these grasses heading out retar- further late, later down the line. So now, even though there's more volume, there's not as much to it at an earlier right. stage. So now, at this time last year, all of our ryegrasses uh, rye would be headed out and gone. Right. They're just starting to poke up. The fillery was twice as high this year. So now, you know, we're able to extend our our weaning a little bit later so we'll give the calves a, a better start so they may be a little bigger next year but to put to try to answer it quickly right we have included testing on our finished product to see does it make do if we kill if we test something that was killed at the beginning of the season test something that was killed at the end of the season is there a significant difference in the nutrient value nutrient density yeah and so we've Put that into situation. We've looked at the box counts, the box weights of the products that we're selling to our customer. Right. What's the difference between you know an animal harvested in May versus one that's harvested in August or right. September? And then we've taken a look at all right overall, overall. So now when when does the cutability go down when they start getting too big? So we shouldn't. So that's how we were able to say you know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be sending cattle down the road in August, September, October ever. Right. We need to get them off the ranch in that tight window. And so and also working with Whole Foods, they require us to process our, our you know, initial process our baby calves at an early age for humane handling purposes. We have to take care of the babies really young. They don't want them to be too stressed out when they're going through some of them stressful management practices. We, so we have to do it at a younger age and we have to wean a little bit older. What that means is that requires a tighter calving window. Right. Which means we have to really have good controls over the breeding period. And you're talking, when you're talking about breeding, what we call natural service, you're talking about putting 1,300, 1,400 pound bulls out. Exactly. In all a of pasture, that plays into, right? Plays in, all of that is important to us. So, yes, you put the younger, less experienced bulls that are lighter on your replacement heifers. Then you put your older bulls that will work a little harder on your more mature cows. You got, and then you, but, but you have to be able to retrieve them in an appropriate time. So your calves are all born in that tight window. You've got to process those calves 
before the, you know, prior to weaning, appropriate window, they've got to be a certain age. So what all that led to was we're going to have all of, so many of our cattle within 60 days of each other being finished. Right. So it makes sense for us to be able to get them off the ranch at that time when we realized that shipping beyond 90 days, the cutability goes down and it's less effective, less, less beautiful to us. You lose right. the benefits of it. Right. Then you're not increasing health benefits. So it makes sense. So we've had to include science, trial and error, common sense, all of it has to be put together. That's that was the challenge of becoming vertically integrated. And that's why it's not an overnight success. You have to you have to learn by mistakes. Here's a thought I just want to interject. So well done, first of all. Um, now, you were using science and common sense and observation and cowboy logic and a lot of other things to come up with something that works. Mm-hmm. You're creating a product at the ranch with the ranch managers and the cowboys. You're putting bulls out. Mm-hmm. You're retrieving them mm-hmm. 60 days later. Mm-hmm. So they're out for 60 days. Just briefly paint a picture for our listeners about what retrieving bulls looks like. (laughs) Well, they don't have the same behavior patterns as a cow. (laughs) Okay. Each, so the calves have a behavior pattern. Cows have a behavior pattern. Steers have a behavior pattern because they're no longer bulls and bulls. They're in a class all on their own. You know, some days they look completely lazy. They don't want to do anything. We, we select for, Calmer, but I mean, we're not going to, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not talking about bucking bulls that you see on TV. Right. And we're not talking about man killers that you have big monster horns, but they're still huge. They could be 2000. They get really big huge. and they have a mind of their own and all that testosterone is still running through their bodies. So they, um, one second they'll, they choose to let you tell them where to go. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And so you have They're to, in charge. they are in charge and they, they decide what they, where they want to go and when, and I've seen it. I've seen I've seen him on a bad day, just as long as I've seen him on a good day. Right. <laughs> so, and you yeah. live to tell. Mm. Oh yeah. Interesting realization I came to after about a year on the job at at Hearst Ranch Beef. I realized that the conventional beef production mm-hmm. was all about taking the curve of natural processes in producing cattle mm-hmm. and leveling it out as much as possible. Yep. So rather than have bulls out, you can go to artificial insemination. So you can get straws of seed stock mm-hmm. from a producer and you can artificially inseminate your cow, your cows and your heifers so that they're all impregnated theoretically at the same time. Right. So some people do that. I mean, we, we've, Toyed with it, toyed with the idea, and it, and it, it is really good in theory. I right. Mean, it, it's excellent in theory. It, it's great for, it's excellent for dairies. It's excellent for confined operations. It's very management intensive, and there's a few different strategies out there. You've got to synchronize everything. So right. now you're in a spot where all of the cows have to be given what they normally produce. They have to be given a synthetic version of it right. to be able to force them to become synchronized all at one time. Right. And then there's, you know, basically you're making them ovulate and then you're making them abort the ovulation so that they come back in heat again and then you can AI them. So um, it's that requires manpower, the cattle to all be in one spot times through the shoot. That's the challenge of it. The good part of it is you're right. If you have a really good conception rate and your um, nutrition is high enough and your cattle are healthy enough, they should accept the insemination and yeah, technically you have them all bred on the same day and that right. means it. But, um, so I see benefits to it. You can select for sex semen to where you're, right. you know, all you'll have all of one sex, but it, it works. Um, I think it works the best. It's just personal preference. Every rancher is different. My personal preference is if it's going to be done, it needs to be done with repl- with purchased replacement heifers. Right. So you have, you have a replacement heifer that's never had a baby, and you can synchronize her. She's not going to be a market animal, but you're putting a baby in it that's going to become a market animal, and you're not having to deal with the calves. That's the big challenge for me. Right. I have a soft spot for uh, 
management intense stuff with with the baby calves. They don't want to mess with them. Leave them right. alone. You want to let, let them be. be. Let them be. And they they don't know that you know. Every time you have to bring those cows in, it's stress, and that stress is lost in pounds. Right. So, um, I don't. I'm not a fan of AIing cows because right. I you know I'm the beef guy. So if we look at, so we've done a really good job of looking at where it started, 1865. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about Senator George Hurst, but I can do that real quick. Mm -hmm. So 1865, Senator George Hurst buys the Pedro Blanca's Rancho in San Simeon. Um, Over time, he puts in a wharf. He's Mm -hmm. the biggest deep water port between San Francisco and Long Beach. His son, William Randolph Hurst, Comes along, his wife Phoebe Apperson Hurst. Um, the three of them, you know, George was a miner, so he was gone most of the time. WR grew up at the ranch; it was his favorite place on earth. His mom passes away. He decides to build a little place up on the hill. It ends up being Hurst Castle, which is a state park. I encourage all the listeners to go check it out. You'll drive through the ranch on your way up there. Um, we're now at a point where Hurst Ranch Beef has been doing business in seasonal grass-fed beef with Whole Foods for nine years. 60 days from now, we'll start the ninth season. Mm-hmm. If we play the tape forward 50 years, mm-hmm. what do you see? Not much changing on the ranch, I'll tell you that much. Um, that's one of the things that uh, I'm proud to say that Hearst, in the 13 years I've worked for them, that they've done, is that they're all about preserving the uh, cowboy way of life and that traditional lifestyle. So I don't see that changing at all. There'll still be cow-calf ranches. There'll still be, both ranches will be cow-calf ranches. Um, They may be a little more sustainable. They may have a little bigger solar project on them. They'll probably have a little different combination of farming outfit there, but they're going to raise great American beef. You know, they're going to raise, they're going to be cow-calf ranches, and they're still going to have cowboys on it. As for where I see Hearst Ranch beef going, I don't see it. I don't see our format changing. You know, if if Whole Foods disappears in ten, twenty years from now, we've we've developed a formula, yeah. and that formula is probably going to stay. I mean, I don't I don't see it changing. So if it's not Whole Foods, you can just insert somebody else's and somebody else's name. Um, I have seen, like I said, I've seen the trend toward people not wanting to get out of their cars and they want to order online. I see that trend continuing. So we may have to figure out a smart way to get to get in that wave. But right now, I don't see us changing much. The business that you're running right now can run like this, come what may. Yep. I mean, you're. The, how the cattle production isn't going to change much, really. No, still cattle. The seasons are going to be the seasons. They're you know the the type of cattle that we raise is going to be the same. The grasses are going to be the same. We're not. It's not going to be a bunch of track homes. It's going to be right. a ranch, and it's not going to be a bunch of track homes because Hearst Corporation, uh, under the leadership of Stephen Hearst, put a conservation mm-hmm. easement on the San Simeon Ranch in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. So it will be a ranch. Forever. Forever. Mm-hmm. That's why I came to Hearst. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the idea. I had watched that um, that process from afar. My dad and I used to comment on how contentious it was for Steve. He was maligned in the press by his own company's newspapers. Wow. You know, and he kept at it and was classy, mm-hmm. you know, um, really in the face of what probably would have been insurmountable odds for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's pretty amazing. So we have, we have built a business that could potentially scale to forever. Mm-hmm. May not get much bigger. Right. But it, it probably will p- uh, persist for a long time. In the modern era of business where the focus and the emphasis is entirely on growth mm-hmm. all the time, how do you, as the person managing that business, how do you deal with that? We don't follow those norms. I mean, that same 
thought process you're talking about, it, it's still another train of thought along those same lines is that you need to continue to diversify. Every time you reach that that point of diminishing returns, you need to diversify your product to keep that growth curve going up. And what we're doing is the exact opposite. Right. We're going more simple. We're going back to the way things were, the way that cattle were intended to be raised. To, and we're keeping the ground static. So success for us is to be able to maintain. Yeah. And so my challenge will be to continue to find ways to get that word out there, get that message out there and make that seem like the way to be as opposed to changing with the given, you know, with the times. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. Well, thank you for your time. Well, it's thanks been for a having pleasure. Me. And uh, we'll, we will do some touring of the ranch also. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.